The Inksa Horizons podcast. Conversations at the intersection of science, society, and public policy. Hello and welcome to Series 2 of the Inksa Horizons podcast. I'm Christiane Allen, Executive Secretary of the International Network for Governmental Science Advice, Inksa. We're excited to be returning this season with more on the discussions taking place at that thorny intersection between science, society, and policy. And there's no better place to kick off the season than with one of the key evidence-to-policy initiatives that emerged from the pandemic. As COVID rolled into its second year, the McMaster University Health Forum recognized that the pandemic represented a critical juncture for understanding how knowledge informs public policy. It threw stark light on the messy business of policymaking, especially in crisis, and the relative role that evidence did or did not play in the process. Public awareness was at its peak, and this added scrutiny would fundamentally change how evidence-informed policy was undertaken. What would or could a post-COVID science advice system look like? To help answer this question, the McMaster Health Forum founded the Global Commission on Evidence to Address Societal Challenges. This commission convened an international panel of experts to determine the principles and actions that could underpin knowledge-to-policy systems for collective challenges, and the resulting report made 24 recommendations that every science advice ecosystem should take into consideration. To dig deeper into the commission and its report, Inksa brought together Professor John Lavis, the co-lead of the commission, with Dr. Soledad Quiros, Inksa Vice President for Policy, who served as one of the commissioners, and Laura Buera from Brazil's Instituto Bereras. Thank you, Laura, for leading this extremely relevant discussion. Welcome, everyone. My name is Laura Boeira. I'm the executive director of Instituto Veredas, a Brazilian NGO dedicated to knowledge translation for social policies. And I'm very happy to be here today for another Horizon series of the International Network for Governmental Science Advice, INSA. Joining me today are Professor John Lavis, who is the co-lead of the Global Commission on Evidence to Address Societal Challenges, and also the director of the McMaster Health Forum, and Dr. Soledad Quiroz Valenzuela. She is a researcher in open science at the Universidad Central de Chile. She's also a vice president for policy of INSA and member of the Latin American and Caribbean Science Diplomacy Network, Diplo Científica. So I'm very happy to be joined today with you two, Soledad and John. I hope we have an interesting conversation around some key topics related to the Commission's work. And my first question is just really about the Commission. So you've both been involved in the Commission, and we are very curious about what were the driving forces behind creating this Global Commission and how this initiative fits into the broader landscape. John, if you want to answer, and then Soledad, as someone who has been part of the Commission, if you can explain how INSA join in, this would be great also. Absolutely. No, my pleasure. And thank you for having me today. Great to be here with two leaders um, in this space globally. 
The commission came about after 12 months of many of us being involved in supporting the evidence response to COVID-19. I think a year into the pandemic, uh, we started to realize that this was a game changer, both in terms of the challenges it was presenting to us and how we used evidence to address societal challenges, but also in the extraordinary innovations that were happening. So we created the Evidence Commission, brought together 25 commissioners from around the globe, and began our work. And the report was then released in January of this year, January of 2022. So a lot of high energy input into the process, a lot of consultations. And we really wanted to capture what we thought were the lessons for going forward. So while the report does look back, it's really about charting a course for the future. It's, of course, not the only report in this space. Uh, We worked in close partnership with two other groups um, who were working on similar efforts simultaneously. One was Cochrane, an NGO in the health space that focuses on evidence syntheses, and they produced a report called Cochrane Convenes. And there was also the global action plan that WHO supported, the World Health Organization. Uh, They had a global evidence to policy summit that culminated in a call to action. So we worked in parallel with those two other groups, made sure that our recommendations aligned. And because we had a longer runway than those two other reports, I think ours deals with a broader set of issues, but nevertheless, the reports are powerfully complementary. Go ahead, Taledan. Thank you, both of you, for accepting our invitation from INSET to participate in this podcast. I was very happy to be part of the commissioners in this report. And for us in INSA, it was a very interesting project because INSA is a very diverse network. Um, we have members all around the world and we have chapters in um, different continents. The three main things that we do in INSA are capacity building, research on new forms to integrate evidence into decision-making, and we share best practices. So this report really did a great summary of everything that was around to summarize and give a product that we could use for all those three objectives. We can share this this document now in several languages, which is also very important for us because we are so diverse and is a product of research and really well thought. We discuss a lot of what words we will use for recommendations, for example. So it was a very thoughtful process. And also, I think, uh, very practical. And that's also very important for us. So it was uh, very interesting to join this group and get to know more people around the world thinking in all these problems. It's funny that Soledad would mention language. Last week, I, I had the good fortune to sit with one of the vice ministers in the new Colombian government, and we gave him a copy of the report, but I just had an English one. And he looked at me and he said, in Castellano. And I said, yeah, I don't have it with me, but I will I will send you a copy in Spanish. And as you said, Soledad, it's critically important that it be available in all these other languages. For sure. And it also is translated in Portuguese. And 
Just when the report was being launched, we were creating, uh, alongside Chile and Colombia, the Latin American, the Caribbean Evidence Hub. And it was so useful for us to have, uh, firstly, the executive summary in Portuguese and Spanish, and then now all the reports in all languages. And John, you mentioned a bit about the Cochrane Convenes and the WHO Call to Action reports, which all came at the same time. And the report from the Commission and these two reports, they all bring uh, recommendations, which are quite interesting. But there is one common topic that I think really made sense for us here. That is the recommendation that the Global Commission report brings around, well, better reporting and understanding what is your evidence support system. This is something that in the Hub we are trying to do. But I'm very curious uh, for both John and Soledad, when you look at the report now, after all this long work, what are the key recommendations that you think would make more sense uh, for INSA members? Well, it, it's funny that you'd mentioned that one because I just went back because we're planning a one-year report update and I was grouping the recommendations into what we now think of as our implementation priorities. And, and when I looked at them, Originally, we numbered the first one as the wake-up call to say we all need to realize the magnitude of the problems that we have in using evidence and the opportunities ahead to do better. But now when I look back, the one that jumps out at me is actually recommendation number five, which is formalize and strengthen evidence support systems. And, you know, all this time out now speaking to government policymakers, organizational leaders, professional citizens, that's the one that feels like it's a game changer. We've always had research systems, you know, the focus being peer-reviewed publications, peer-reviewed grants. We've had um, innovation systems where the focus is commercialization, that kind of thing. Thing. But we've really never had a conversation about what does this system need to look like that would enable government policymakers and these other decision makers to be able to find and use evidence on the timelines they need to make decisions. And then how do we move forward to learn from different jurisdictions about how to strengthen them more effectively? So that's the one that we're now most excited about and that we're building most of our efforts around. We're now working with partners in 12 countries, including both of yours, uh, Brazil and Chile, to try to learn what's going well that needs to be systematized and scaled up and what are the priority gaps that really need to be filled. So I can come back and elaborate on evidence support systems if it's helpful, but I'll just say for now, that one, number five, we see as our current top, top priority. Soledad, what are your thoughts? My uh, problem was that I couldn't pick one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think everything was very important. We Starting uh, with the wake-up call, for me, it was more like a, we can do better. That's important to remember because we can either be too comfortable where we are or just not learning enough of what is out there. So the first one was, was important, but the one that came up during the conversations and I think is, is close to, to my heart now is number 13 about evidence in everyday life. Because we, I'm a scientist, so I usually I'm surrounded by other scientists 
And we tend to think that, okay, this is a conversation between policymakers or decision makers and scientists. But really, evidence is using evidence for decisions is something we all should do and can be used for everything to make better decisions. That's basically the idea. And there's always information. Now, probably there's too much information. And having the capacity to differentiate good evidence, good information from bad information, for example, with fake news, is is something that is in everyday life. So I think that's the one that stand out for me because this is for everybody, not just for scientists or decision makers. Yeah, I'm glad you gave me a back way into highlighting that one. I, I tried to focus on one, but um, we work with a number of incredibly talented citizen partners. And of course, that's the one that for them is the game changer. And they're so thrilled to see putting evidence at the center of everyday life at the front and center. And we just convened a citizen panel of very diverse uh, citizens to talk about this one. How do you operationalize it? And and we learned a lot, but it was also a bit of an eye-opener for us about this diverse group of citizens. A lot of them are now very skeptical of government and government science advisors. COVID, sometimes because of misinformation, sometimes because of missteps on the part of government and other things, citizens are now critical and asking very difficult questions of government. And so I think we really need to pay attention to how do we help citizens understand that evidence is helpful and that there are trusted intermediaries and others who really are simply trying to say, here is the best evidence and to make it as widely available as possible. And then to stand back and let, you know, citizens make their own decisions. So I think that that recommendation number 13 is, I agree with you, critically important, might end up being the biggest game changer over long periods of time, but really requires us to step way back and ask, how do we do this work more effectively um, if we're really going to put evidence at the center of everyday life? Yes. And also one recommendation, because I don't know if all INSA members recognize themselves as evidence intermediaries, but the recommendation around these evidence intermediaries being boundary spanners and really circulating in these different spaces, because sometimes we are inside governments. I'm speaking from a civil society organization. We have colleagues, of course, that are researchers. And just having flexibility and trying to be understanding of these different places to be and how they can communicate effectively with citizens, even to rebuild trust sometimes in this process that was so trust shattering. I think it's quite uh, interesting to more people recognizing themselves as evidence intermediaries and identifying these gaps where they can help rebuild trust and and promote evidence use in in day-to-day life. And one thing that I'm very interested about your process, and of course we can come back because there are so many recommendations that are interesting, but when you are developing this report, 
it seems such a massive job, right? <laughs> to do such a comprehensive report, integrating diverse stakeholders, not only from multiple countries, but as I mentioned, from these different sectors. What were the, the main, I mean, equity even challenges that you have experienced? And how were you able to integrate these commissioners together and their point of views in this diverse and comprehensive report? Well, it, it was a lot. I mean, obviously, we had calls that involved all of the commissioners, and sometimes we had calls with subgroups of them, but it was also a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, as you mentioned, Laura, the commissioners were selected because they covered all societal challenges, health, climate action, education, and so on, all types of decision makers, government policymakers, organizational leaders, professional citizens, all forms of evidence, everything from data analytics and modeling through evidence synthesis to technology assessments and guidelines and all regions of the world. And just with our, if I use the example of our Brazilian commissioner, he's a young indigenous leader from the Brazilian Amazon, doesn't speak English, but we had an incredibly effective collaborator in Jorge Barreto, who you know well, who would accompany the young indigenous leader on every call. So Danielle, we could speak to Danielle, Jorge would do the simultaneous interpretation. And we ended up working with Danielle to write an exhibit uh, specific to indigenous ways of knowing the importance of indigenous governance, a variety of things. So it was a real opportunity to have conversations with individuals to say what matters to you, how can we help you express what you think is critical if we really are going to build a future where we use evidence to address societal challenges. And I think Danielle was very effective in waking us up to how we may be focused on evidence, but we also need to work with people who bring Indigenous ways of knowing to the table. We also need to work with Indigenous leaders and respect their governance and, and official roles. And we tried to do that with a number of people. So it was very labor intensive, but I think the report is much the richer for trying to understand where each commissioner was coming from and to try to make sure that their insights and experiences were reflected in the document at the end of the day. I would like to really commend John and Jen and everybody in the team that choose the, the commissioners and work closely with each of us because very few times I've seen such a diverse group of people and I work with six people from diverse backgrounds and it's already you know, difficult just between different backgrounds. So when you add to that, the different cultures and time frames, <laughs> sometimes people had to wake up very early or stay very late. So it was a, a huge undertaking. And I really commend you, John, for leading that team. That's wonderful. And I think for me, this active engagement reflects on the final report is just broadening so much the horizon of what we think is valid evidence for decision making, specifically in a time of huge uncertainty and decisions that really affect so many lives as the pandemic. But so I'm very interested and because we've been working with knowledge translation and some evidence units uh, for some time here in Brazil 
Brazil. When I came across this idea of the evidence support systems, I was very curious on how, in your view, this different from uh, scientific advice teams or rapid response services that were models that we already knew, how, how this idea of a system came to be and how COVID shaped this idea. So I'm very interested in trying to understand a bit more on how you, you got as a group to this understanding and how you see this shaping up the debate from now on. Well, it's funny because it kind of emerged organically. I think we had a number of people who kept reiterating that we needed to be thinking from a systems perspective. And originally we began with using the language of the evidence ecosystem. But the more that we talked about it, the more that that language for some people was very distracting. If you come from the space of the environment, ecosystems mean something different. And it didn't help us clearly distinguish the evidence support system from the research system and the innovation system. So over time, we kind of collectively muddled our way towards this. But then once we started using the language, a lot of people said, oh, that's helpful. I mean, evidence support system. We have to think from a system perspective. So I find I'm often at conferences where individual researchers tell these magical stories about how they worked in a space and built relationships with policymakers and over time became a trusted advisor and then their research started to get used. But one of our commissioners, Carrie Albright from UNICEF, she often says, think systems, not relationships, because people change and you need a system. And as support seems like it's also the right language, because at the end of the day, politicians in most countries are democratically elected to make tough decisions on our behalf. They are weighing many factors. Research evidence is only one, but we can support them with evidence, which we hope then would be one input to their decision making. And then the more that we unpacked it, then we needed to think about, well, what infrastructure would constitute a system? And so there would be the what we call the evidence support units. Those could be a rapid response unit that quickly synthesized evidence in hours and days on a pressing issue. Uh, it could be elements also, though, of science advisors. So government science advisors who speak in a way that make it possible to judge their accuracy. It can be expert panels, but again, not the what we sometimes call good old boys sitting around the table, but expert panels that have people with content expertise, but also methods expertise, and critically also people with lived experience. And those people need to be supported with evidence as an input into their deliberations, and they should be asked to be clear about whether and how the recommendations are based on best evidence. And then finally, there's a whole bunch of processes that we need for this system to work, ways to elicit and prioritize evidence needs, find and package evidence that meets those needs within set time constraints. We need to build capacity for evidence use. And maybe most importantly, we need to incorporate evidence use into routine processes. So when budgets are made, when spending submissions are, are sent in, all of those types of processes need to have a way in uh, for evidence. So when you start to think of it as a system, then you can start to formalize it and you can start to strengthen it. So that's how we got there. And that's kind of how we evolved in our thinking over the life of the commission. 
What I really like about that concept is that it can be applied to many different contexts. So, for example, there are countries where this work for science advisor is fixed already with, with the history, but in our region, Latin America, that is not common. And there are many different ways to do science advice to decision makers. And this type of wording really, like John said, unifies all the things that compose the system, which is very complex, but gives you the flexibility to adapt it to different contexts. Also, in different sub-national levels, uh, international levels, there are many different contexts you have to think about how to put evidence in. And this is very flexible, but complex enough. So it will give you an idea of what you need to think when you want to organize it or think about the resources you have to put in. And I have a question for both of you because related to this evidence support system, I've started to use an analogy, but I've now come to realize it doesn't work in every country. And my question is, does it work in Brazil and Chile? So the analogy that I use is that in an evidence support system, you need different types of players. And one of the types of players, if you think about renovating, I don't know, a bathroom in your apartment, in a country like mine, we, or let's pick pick a kitchen, which is more complicated. We would hire a general contractor and that contractor would then bring in the plumber and the electrician and the drywall person and the tiler and all of these different people. So first, my question to you is, does it work the same for you or do you have to hire each of those people separately? Yes, in Brazil, it works just like that. A contractor is the best friend of any. <laughs> oh, same in Chile, Soledad? Yeah, it's just the same. Yeah. You will hire one person who will do everything, but it's not going to be a very expert on one thing. So maybe your electrical part is going to start failing soon, <laughs> but the tiling is going to be perfect. <laughs> okay. Well, our contractors don't do everything. They hire the separate trades. So their role is to coordinate these different trades. So you still have the specialist in electricity, the electrician, and so on. So the analogy that I've started to use with evidence support systems is you need really good contractors, not just trades, because somebody needs to match the form of evidence to the question. So so for some questions, maybe you need data analytics and modeling, but for other questions, you may need evaluations and qualitative insights. A good general contractor is also going to combine the best national evidence with the best global evidence and is going to ask of the global evidence, how does what we know vary by groups and contexts? Because it may or may not apply in my, in my situation. So we need all of these trades the trades of data analytics, evaluation, evidence synthesis, but we also need somebody who can bring the right people in at the right time and can use both the evidence that already exists as well as figure out how do we create flows of new evidence. So we want to use the stock of existing evidence on very short timelines. When we have longer, we want to use that stock plus build future flows of evidence. So think about a high-functioning evidence support system as being comprised of both the general contractors that can mix and match and the variety of trades that you may need to uh, pull in depending on the nature of the question. 
Yes, and this is so important. I always say when people ask about, like family members ask <laughs> about why I do day to day, is just how much of our work is just matching the right question to the right type of evidence to answer it and really working on refining this. Right now, in these past three months, we have been in the Latin America and the Caribbean Evidence Hub conducting some workshops in the region to understand what are priority questions uh, for government members and researchers in the region that would like to enter this evidence support system debate. And so much work needs to be done around the questions, right? So much work to really understand what makes sense and what types of evidence will be more relevant. So during the pandemic, we received a lot of requests for benchmarking of other countries' experiences. And then in the beginning, people were frowning like, oh no, this is not the best available evidence. And I said, yeah, but <laughs> it's, it's what we have right now. So maybe it is the best. But this only comes when you really know and understand where you can find this kind of information. And that's why I'm super interested also in us debating just in our final minutes here, a bit of these experiences you've been conducting with 12 countries, John, on rapid jurisdictional scans just because what have you learned about these infrastructures that are situated in governments? Specifically, because I know in this work, you've been looking not only to the executive branch, but also uh, legislative and judiciary branches in, in different countries and discovering a lot of infrastructure for these different types of evidence that are needed. So I wanted just to pick your brain a bit around this because making this transparent, understanding where these units are, what type of evidence they manage, it seems to help us to go a long way on uh, having the good questions connected to the places and types of evidence that can answer them. Uh, so I very much agree. I mean, the moment any question comes in to us, you know, the first thing is we have a scoping call, which we do within 24 hours to understand the context in which a decision is going to be made, you know, what forms of evidence would be helpful. Would it be helpful to complement evidence with a jurisdictional scan to find out what other countries are doing and so on. And in our rapid jurisdictional scans, which if I stand way back, I'll just say that it's partly about the demand side. So are, are people asking questions and are they being prompted in their day-to-day -day jobs to ask those questions? It's partly about that interface between the evidence demand and the evidence supply side where those evidence intermediaries sit. But it's also about the supply side. Who is out there within government, for example, outside government, through partners, through the UN system? Who is providing uh, responses when these questions come in. And we're doing it, as you mentioned, Laura, for uh, central agencies, ministries of finance, prime minister, president's offices, for the science and technology departments, key line departments, but also the legislative branch. And the legislative branch has been a revelation to me. For some reason, it was not on my radar before. I was so focused on the executive branch because that's where our 
relationships have historically been. But I found out that in Canada, our Library of Parliament runs an evidence service for parliamentarians and answers at least 4,000 questions every year. And I used to think we were having an amazing year if we could answer 100 questions. Now, they have a much bigger team, but 4,000 questions a year from parliamentarians. And they're kind of here, but with support they could be here. And if we could influence them to go to the right sources of pre-appraised syntheses of the evidence to know how to be that general contractor that leverages multiple forms of existing evidence, we would have a massive impact. And that's just the legislative library. There's also, in, in our case, the Auditor General that could also be using evidence more effective. There's a parliamentary budget officer who costs a lot of potential parliamentary decisions, but they need to get their benefits estimates from somewhere where better than to do get them than from evidence syntheses. So there's a lot happening already in government. And so one of the nice parts of our conversations in our calls back with um, key officials as we do the rapid jurisdictional scan is we can say, hey, here's all the things that are going well that could be systematized or scaled up. Take what's working for the legislative branch and think about using in different parts of the executive branch. But then also here's some gaps and maybe we don't have examples from our country, but this is what Brazil's doing. This is what Chile is doing. Maybe we could adapt it for our context. So, so these rapid jurisdictional scans, you know, to me have been a revelation about these pockets of excellence that are just untold stories that we need to be giving more visibility to so people can learn from and we can also support them to up their game. Yeah, this is quite amazing. In Brazil, during these past years, we had some hard times entering and having debates with the federal executive branch. It was a time, of course, of a lot of urgent responses, but also we had a political instability that didn't make this so easy. So we really went to the judiciary branch in Brazil to start conversations. We were starting in Brazil to have the National Council of Justice coordinate a lot of uh, judiciary policies, as they, they say, to inform state-level decisions. And it was also so eye-opening just to understand the appetite for evidence, the structure they have to produce really great questions, to engage with stakeholders from different levels, because, of course, the judiciary branch is not alone <laughs> in the political landscape, and even how they were open to engaging with citizens. So some of our greatest experiences doing all of this matching of great questions with evidence and then consulting citizens around their priorities, their values, and bringing this into the final decision-making was done in the judiciary branch. And we had also <laughs> no idea until then that it would be such a prolific place to be and to engage. So I'm very happy having these tools to make it more explicit where are these nuggets of joy <laughs> for the evidence conversation because specifically in our region of Latin America and Soledad knows this very well we are often in political instability or the elections change all the landscape. Right now in Brazil, we just elected a new president. We will change and have an impact on state level as well. 
So having the ability to see opportunities in different branches, go to the legislative branch, which will have such an impact also on what the executive branch can do in Brazil right now, is quite inspiring. I'm very happy about this. So that have you had any experience in Chile regarding mapping and understanding where these evidence support system units are? I have been lucky enough to meet the people in the National Library of the Congress who do a very interesting work there. I'm not quite sure if they are so active, <laughs> but it goes back a little bit to our discussion of the system. You know, there's a sort of way to approach certain problems and how to solve it, how to think about it. And everybody has a problem that is aching them, you know, uh, if you go to the uh, beach or if you go to the mountains, people have issues that need resolving and they are very willing and looking for the best evidence to solve those problems. So I think it's a, a great idea to go looking for those problems and apply this system to be conscious of what their problems are, what their needs are, and then trying to match them with the knowledge that we know is being produced everywhere in the world. We learn a lot about people and we can actually make science to, to make a mark, to really contribute to a better quality of life, which is for me the driver to move from the lab to policy. And so that this conversation is reminding me, I need to connect you to one of your fellow Chileans, Kristen Mancia, because he is doing a, an assessment of the Chilean evidence support system. And we need to engage you in that work because you'll have, you know, vantage points for that system that would complement what he and, and other members of the team are bringing, because Chile has a lot going for it already in terms of key elements of the infrastructure. But again, we need to systematize and scale up what's going well and, and help um, Chileans prioritize the gaps just in the same way that Brazilians and Canadians need to prioritize what our next steps look like. It's always going to be specific to our context where we need to put more emphasis. Great. I'll be looking forward to that. Well, I'm very sad to say our time is uh, running out right now because this conversation is so interesting. We have just a few more minutes to final remarks. And I wonder if I can just pick your brains also on this key pressing issue for our region here in Latin America and the Caribbean. Uh, Brazil, Chile, Colombia are all countries that went through general elections, have early mandate governments now. And one of the conversations we always have is how can we not make the evidence talk partisan talk, right? How, despite of changes of governments and, and political views, evidence can be something seen of value for all governments. So as you reflect on, on the final remarks on this conversation, if you have any thoughts or advice <laughs> for our region, I think many scientific advisors and evidence intermediaries are now asking, oh my God, government is changing. Will the same strategies I used before work? <laughs> Do I need to change something to make this appealing for this new upcoming government? So um, it would be wonderful just to have uh, this inspiration to end the conversation. But thank you so much, Soledad and John. I, I had a blast. 
It was great speaking to you. Soledad, do you want to go first and then I'll go second? Sure. It is very similar to what I was saying before. Each government will have different priorities or maybe different ideas of how to solve certain problems. Either way, they're going to want to make whatever they do a success and whatever evidence you can provide to make that action a success is going to be useful. It's going to be something that is going to be interesting to them. So I, I think you might not be very politically aligned with one government or the other, but the main point for this to use evidence is to make better decisions, to have better policies. So when you're doing policy, when you're making decisions, you can use evidence and having a system to use the best evidence possible is going to be useful wherever you go. Yeah, and I would just add a couple of comments. I think you're entirely right, Laura. The the less this gets connected to political agendas, the better. It's just my hope is we can find the language to help people see that there's value in a high-performing evidence support system, regardless of the political stripe of a government in power at any moment in time. I recognize it's so much more difficult with governments when after elections, there's a change in the entire senior leadership of every part of government. But hopefully then there's even more emphasis on those groups outside government that are there regardless of what happens. And I think that COVID has been a bit of a wake-up call. In the early days, there was so much focused on government science advisors and expert opinion But we heard at the citizen panel, and we've seen it time and time again in conversations, there's real skepticism now because so often during COVID, the evidence got mixed in with individuals' own values and preferences. And I always feel like I once interviewed the head of the National Health Service in the UK, and and he kind of role-played, and he scared me because I didn't realize he'd moved into this role-playing role. But he just suddenly yelled at me, and he said, John, I don't care about your personal opinion. Unless you have 100,000 nurses standing behind you, your personal opinion means nothing to me. Your only value to me is if you can speak in a way that makes it possible to judge your accuracy. And if you can bring me the best evidence on every question and don't tell me your personal views, tell me what the evidence shows on the questions that matter to me. You will have my attention and I will keep coming back to you over and over. And I think we've also learned from a lot of expert panels that it can't just be what we call good old boys sitting around the table. We need people with lived experience. We need people who are experts in the methods of bringing together best evidence that can inform the group. And yes, we need content experts, but they need to be supported uh, to engage in robust deliberations and be transparent about which of their recommendations are based on what form of evidence. So COVID's really been a wake-up call, I think, for government science advisors about where they need to be in future uh, so that they are a trusted source and they don't end up being seen as just another part of the political apparatus. I think it's absolutely critical for the future. But thank you again, Laura, for, for convening us. Great to see you. And the light is just about to light you up perfectly from your window. So, <laughs> oh, is it going down? Okay.
<laughs> All right. Today is a very sunny day in Brazil. It's a national holiday I was mentioning. Uh, and the light has changed many times in my face today. <laughs> they always say, oh, look for natural light. And sometimes <laughs> this is not the case. But That's it has great. been such a pleasure talking with you. Uh, in Brazil, we just witnessed during these hard years how much our public servants and, and our public servants have understood how evidence can make their work better, can make their work easier even. When you first see it, it seems it will be more of a problem than a solution. But then we had so many great people in our public servants buying into this idea, embedding evidence into their practice. Right now we have two uh, units institutionalized in the federal government, very much so work of these public servants. So I'm very happy to have this report of the Global Commission and have all of this work to show them because they are starting or, well, consolidating years of hard work into uh, decision-making for social policies, not only health. And it brings such a light to us and having it in Portuguese, it's a privilege. So shout out to Professor Jorge Barreto at uh, Fiocruz Brasilia who helped so much in this translation as well because we know what a difference it makes to have it in our own language. So thank you, Soledad. Thank you, John. It has been a wonderful pleasure talking with you. Everyone who is not familiar with the report, you can check uh, the website for the Global Commission where you'll find the report in six languages, uh, both the executive summary and uh, the full report. And I highly, highly recommend it. So thank you very much. Great to see you both. Thank you. Thank you. It's been wonderful. The International Network for Government Science Advice is the leading global network for those interested in the dynamics of research-informed public policy making. For more content, news and opportunities from the Science Policy Interface, join the INGSA network for free at ingsa.org. That's I-N-G-S-A And join us again soon for more great minds and great conversations. Thank you.